What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, your favorite Star Trek podcast, favorite Star Trek podcast, we hope, we think, maybe, probably. Sure, we'll say that, we'll go with it. Sure, why not? It's us. We're, we're your favorite Star Trek podcast, favorite Star Trek podcast. Shut up. <laughs> I'm David Majors, I'm one of the co-hosts, and I'm joined by Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What's up? You know, I finally moved into my new quarters on the station, then the fourth level of the pylon. You know, I got a nice view overlooking the wormhole. So uh, I'm ready to rock and roll. We're going to have a good show tonight. We're, we're ready to rock. We're ready to talk about some Star Trek. There's still plenty of Star Trek to talk about. And we're just going to jump in. Uh, for new listeners of the show... We do have a little bit of a format. Uh, we're merchants. This is a business. This is a place of business. So we start with old business, which is kind of the classic Star Trek space. Then we move on to new business, which are things that are happening in the world of Star Trek right now. And later, upcoming business where we look ahead beyond. So let's get it started with old business. And for no reason in particular... Uh, I've been thinking a lot about conflict lately in Star Trek. Uh, conflict, uh, especially in the form of trials, Heather. Now, as you know, and as Trekkies know, Star Trek has a lot of trial episodes. And if you're not familiar, we'll put that in the show notes. You'll see a long list of various trial-based, court-based episodes uh, throughout the entirety of the Star Trek franchise. And... Sometime in the last four or five days, I started watching a lot of the Star Trek trial episodes, like The Menagerie, like Measure of a Man from The Next Generation, like Tribunal, like Death Wish from Voyager, uh, also Rules of Engagement from Deep Space Nine. Uh, th this has been kind of a long-standing trope that is in many ways unique to the Star Trek franchise. So I wanted to ask you, Heather, and please, everybody out there listening, let us know at Prom Trek Pod. Tell us. Join the conversation, as they say. Tell me, Heather, what is your favorite Star Trek trial episode? Well, you know, there's so many I couldn't come up with just one. <laughs> But since you mentioned uh, two of the three I was going to talk about in your little list there, <laughs> I'm going to mention first the one that you didn't bring up, which is actually from Enterprise. Um, and it is an episode called Judgment, where Archer is put on trial in front of a Klingon court. Yes. And I really, really love this episode because I think it, it, it's the first episode in Enterprise, at least, that gives you a really deep dive into what's going on in Klingon society in that time frame. Uh, because it's kind of like the Vulcans that you meet in Enterprise. They're not exactly the same Klingons that you know. So there's certain differences in their society. And uh, the episode really highlights that when basically you see how 
his trial is just kind of a sham (laughs) and he's already kind of the judge and the prosecutor have already kind of made up their mind, but he convinces his um, defense attorney to actually take a stand and defend him uh, because he's not actually guilty of what they're accusing him of. And so for that, both Archer and his defense attorney get sent to rule Pempe. <laughs> womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> but it's really a, an example of um, how the Klingons kind of lost their honor at a point. And uh, you sort of see in Discovery where they sort of gain that honor back in their society and that process of gaining that honor back starts in enterprise and then goes on to the TNG and DS nine Klingons that we know where honor is a huge part of their society. So that's why I really wanted to highlight judgment because I think it's a really important step in that Klingon story. Um, The other one I wanted to mention, which you mentioned in your, your list of episodes earlier is death wish. Um, I think people love and focus on so many of the trial episodes in in TNG, which are amazing and classic episodes, all-time great episodes of Star Trek. But Death Wish is one that sort of goes unnoticed, especially because it has to do with Q. (laughs) Which is really surprising, because I was actually going to say Death Wish is one of mine. Uh, It was. And you really made an excellent point about how this is one that it involves Q, but it kind of goes under the radar. And for me, this might be my favorite episode of Star Trek to ever involve Q. Because Q is not my favorite character in the Star Trek universe. He's not my favorite. So kind of seeing the larger Q continuum and how he fit in, and how that whole thing worked, and the interjection of the man known as Quinn was really, really interesting, and it had a lot of larger philosophical ideas that you could explore with the Q Continuum, because they were this race of beings that had been around forever, and had done everything, and when you get to that point, there is that philosophical question that Quinn was asking is, after you have seen everything and lived all that there is to live, what else is left? And his answer of death was a really, really interesting one. Um, Sorry to cut you off there, but yeah, I totally agree. That was one of my picks. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it definitely poses a lot of philosophical questions when looking at um the concept like when you put the ideas of the episode into the real world basically assisted suicide is what they're talking about here and uh but it it really does it in a way where it talks about someone's uh autonomy and uh really who gives the person that choice and and the right to choose what they do with their life and things like that. And it, 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 it's one of those episodes that 
really makes you think while you're watching it. And I think that's why it's truly a great episode. I completely agree. Also, going back to what I said about Q. One of my favorite things about this episode is that even though Q is in it, he's not in control. He tries to be in control, but he really wasn't. Uh, It was Quinn. It was Captain Janeway. It was the rest of the Q continuum. And Q just kind of had to sit and go along with it until a decision was made. And it wasn't the decision that he wanted. Q lost. And he loses a few times in Star Trek, which, which I do appreciate when that happens. And in the end, he, spoilers, statute of limitations, he came around to see Quinn's point of view. And it was an interesting, I won't say humanization of Q, but it gave him some character depth that he never really got. And Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that we saw that in him. Um, Another one that I'm going to mention is one that I mentioned at the top, and that was the episode Rules of Engagement from DS9. I think this had a lot of really great character moments. It had great character moments from Worf, especially, since it revolved around him. Uh, You got to see his resentment for what had happened to him in the Klingon Empire, losing his house, losing his honor. Uh, You got to see him as a commanding officer on the bridge, uh, on the Defiant, which, in my opinion, we didn't see nearly enough. And we got to see Captain Sisko uh, in that classic role that you see Starfleet captains be in the trial episode where they're playing the defense attorney. That's a a classic Star Trek role. And I think Uh Avery Brooks absolutely killed it. Uh, I I think that he had a lot to work with performance-wise. And when he's given a lot to work with, he knocks it out of the park every time. And also, this episode, for me, is really special because it is directed by LeVar Burton. And when I watched this episode and read up on it a little bit, uh, LeVar Burton made the choice of saying he wanted to do something a little different with how this episode was done. Um, that That's kind of what you're able to do with DS9. You can take your standard Star Trek ideas and kind of play with them a little bit and take take them out of their normal element. And when he had the characters in this episode on the stand, rather than them having talk in the trial setting, uh, they did the thing where they put them in their settings where they were either talking about Worf or what happened when the ship was fired upon. And he had them talking to the camera for their witness testimony. And I thought that was such a cool choice for direction. And that was a really, really interesting choice by LeVar Burton. Also, everybody in this episode just really, really acted extremely well. Everything was really compelling. You had Ron Canada as the Klingon uh, prosecutor, Chipak, Avery Brooks, like I said. I think Terry Farrell really 
did a great job as as Dax in this episode. And again, Avery Brooks. I just think that this is one of those really high-quality episodes of DS9. Just great acting, great direction, great story. And at the end of the episode, you see uh, Captain Sisko with Worf at the end uh, in one way yelling at him because he screwed up pretty bad. But also at the same time, coaching him on how to learn from his mistakes and grow from them and, and be a better officer going forward. And it ended on a really humorous note saying, just wait until you get four pips on that collar. You'll wish you had gone into botany. Uh, because <laughs> being a Starfleet captain is a tough, tough job. And I just think that top to bottom, this was a great episode. Rules of engagement. Yeah, I, I mean, it's an excellent choice i definitely agree with a lot of the points you made and i think it, it's really a highlight of the example of what Worf brought to ds9 when he came onto the show because as much as i love kira she's my favorite character on ds9 um and as much as she was like his second in command she was still bajoran so it really gave more of a uh, first officer captain vibe when they brought Worf onto the show where um, Cisco could mentor him in a way that you didn't really see Cisco and Kira's relationship like that. Uh, so this is a huge example of that in this episode. And, and I agree with all of your points. Excellent choice. So everybody out there, let us know at prom Trek pod and use the hashtag trek trials trek trials we'll do that we'll give it a hashtag trek trials let us know at prom trek pod on the tweeter twatter what's your favorite star trek trial episode what's your favorite performance in a trial episode we know there are plenty uh if you say measure of a man that's fine too uh, they're all good pretty much i think yeah let us know at prom trek pod use the hashtag trek trials and let us know your favorite trial episode. Let's move into new business, Heather. Uh, we've got a couple more episodes of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Starting with Episode 7, Unification, and Episode 8, The Sanctuary. Uh, starting with Episode 7, Michael Burnham believes she has found information on the burn and then puts it in the... F puts her in the face of Vulcan history. Now, we just talked about trial episodes. And with this episode, we saw Michael invoke the Tanat Nket uh, on Navarre, which was once Vulcan, but is now Navarre. Uh, because, as this is called Unification Part 3, the unification of the Vulcans and the Romulans has paid off. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Now, uh, everybody out there, if you were catching us on Twitter recently uh, for this episode when we did Disco on the Prom, uh, I had the account that time, and I did a live tweet rewatch of all three episodes uh, in Star Trek that were titled Unification. It was the two-parter from The Next Generation, which had special guest star Leonard Nimoy <gasps> working <laughs> on the planet Romulus uh, with Romulan citizens 
who were interested in Vulcans and wanted to work someday towards the idea of the Vulcans and the Romulans reuniting their peoples. At the end of that two-parter, Spock had said that he needed to stay on Romulus and help and push towards this, and he admitted it would be long after he was gone. We go into the future with Unification Part 3, and we find that it has paid off. And we see Michael being able to see her brother's work on full display. Uh, Heather, uh, I imagine that had to have some big feels for you. It was it was a big moment, Unification Part 3. Oh, it, it, it really was. I mean, that scene where um, she's looking at the hollows of, of the elder ambassador Spock Leonard Nimoy's speech it it just um I started crying <laughs> I started crying watching that and uh you could tell Michael was too it, it, it was just so wonderful to see um Spock's work realized in this way and I think when we talk when we talked about and, and one of the greatest things I'm loving in Discovery Season 3 is we talk about how they're so far in the future and they don't have to adhere to canon um, because they can make their own stories. But they're still taking bits and pieces from this universe and to connect this story of Vulcan and Romulan reunifying back to Spock and having them remember Spock's legacy and, and connecting Burnham that way. I, I don't know. It, it just, it made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. The, <laughs> the feels it. were real. The feels yes, were real. The feels were real. They, they most certainly were. Um, and for me, not just that, but in this episode, we see uh, Michael, going to Navarre to find out if they will help her with finding out the source of the burn because the Vulcans and the Romulans have information that might be helpful. And they originally say no. Um, I just want to say, quick sidebar, I loved the Vulcan president in this episode. I thought she was just yes. a wonderful, lovely character. And I love that... Discovery is having so many of these characters, like presidents and politicians and admirals that are not bad people. And, and yeah. I just love that they're doing that. Uh, I And we got to the Tanat and Ket, which was a trial of sorts. Uh, it was really a debate, but, but it was also kind of a trial uh, for Michael Burnham. And her advocate ended up being a member of the Kuat Malat. Hey, Star Trek Picard. <laughs> What's going on, Star Trek Picard? Oh, I, I, I mean, I got so excited when they mentioned the Kuat Malat because I'm like, yes, now we're tying into Picard, and that's amazing. But, but when his her Kuat Malat advocate beams onto the ship, like, I squealed with joy. I did. <laughs> Honestly, so did I. And and it turned out that Michael's Coat Malat advocate was none other than 
Dr. Gabriel Burnham, Michael's mother. And wow. It was so wonderful. What a moment. What a damn moment. Uh, But then it's time for the trial. And credit to Dr. Burnham. She continued the belief of the Kuat Malat of absolute candor. And in the first part of the debate, Michael was not being completely truthful. And Dr. Burnham called her out on it. Um, And it was a good character moment for both of them. Uh, It showed that Dr. Burnham had a great deal of depth and really cared about what the Kuat Malat taught her. And it also showed that Michael had to realize that she's not as Vulcan as she thinks she is, and she had to change her methods in this debate with the three uh, other advocates, the the Vulcan purist, the Romulan, and the third, the, the lady that was in between. And I loved all of this. It, it This was, as they say, this was very Star Trek, all of yes. this. Oh, yeah. And I loved the B-plot of this. I loved the B-plot uh, where we saw Saru talking with the Vulcan president. Uh, now, okay. Uh, sh- shall we talk about it, Heather? Shall we talk about yes, it? Yes, yes. All right. So, Captain Saru relieved Michael of her duties as first officer. And he just he needed a second. He, he wanted to look around and find someone else to take up the job. And he decided that the person to be his number one would be Ensign Tilly. Heather, what'd you think? <laughs> You're going to make me start? Okay. So, obviously... Tilly, the idea of Tilly being his his number one did not come into my head at all when considering the options. Um, mainly for the fact she is an ensign. And not only is she just an ensign, but only like a year ago she was a cadet. So it's not like she's like Harry Kim who was an ensign for seven freaking years, Okay. She was she'd only been an ensign for like a year. <laughs> um, I I do love Tilly as a character and as a person, and she has grown so much over the three seasons of Star Trek Discovery. Um, I was kind of flummoxed at the idea of him asking Tilly to be put in this position. Flummoxed. Now, flummoxed is a good word. It's a great I word. We'll say when we go on to talk about the next episode that my views on that have slightly gotten better seeing how she was acting and portraying in her role as his number one uh, in episode eight, but on his initial a- announcement in episode seven, yeah, I, I, 
wasn't completely on board, didn't completely get it. But then it kind of just blew to the back of my mind because I loved everything else about the episode. <laughs> so. All right. So, yeah. Uh, the GIF has already become a part of of social media history. Uh, but when Saru said that he wanted Tilly to be his first officer... And Tilly went to Commander Stamets to to say that Saru asked her to take the job. Uh, we all saw the reaction Stamets had, and I pretty much had the same reaction. Just saucer eyes and the, excuse me, what, what, what? Hold on. Uh, and... I will say that was my one wrinkle in an otherwise great episode. And I think there was a moment. Actually, there were a couple of moments in episode eight where I felt like, okay, I understand. I get what's happening here. I'm, I'm, I can come around on this, and that'll be in episode eight. But for episode seven... Overall, especially with how it concluded, uh, it gave us uh, a very quality ending. Uh, I will say again, episode seven was very Star Trek. Uh, this entire season has been pretty quality, but this, especially how it ended and how it came to its resolution, it was very, very good. I, I think this was a very, very good episode, episode seven, and... I really liked Unification Part Three a lot. I think it, I think it turned out really well. I I think the ending of the episode, especially the last scene with uh, Michael and Doctor Burnham, really got me as well. Because well, like when she looks at Michael and says, "You know, this is the first time I can ever say this, but you know where to find me." Like mm, it just. The yeah. journey that these two have been on over the past 20 years with uh, Dr. Burnham flipping back and forth in that damn red angel suit, not being able to stick to a, a certain time and Michael losing her entire family and then discovering that she's still alive. It, it, just the, the fact that they're, they end on such a solid note that – Michael knows where her mother is now. And if she ever needs to find her, she can contact her. She can go to her. Oh, like I said, warm fuzzies, man. Warm fuzzies. Just just give us all the hugs here. The the feels were real and the feels were good. Episode eight, The Sanctuary, where our boy Cleveland Booker, who I have something to say later, Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yes. We gotta duke it out of that. Okay, but I, go on. I think we are. Uh, we go to Book's home planet of Kwai John uh, because the Emerald Chain and its leader, Osira, has it in something of a hostage situation. And we go to Book's home planet and we see his family and his brother. Kahin. And 
this ties into the further larger story of what's happening with the galaxy right now with the Federation falling as it has and the Emerald Chain growing as it has. I think this did a really good job of telling uh, a standalone story episode singularly while also playing in larger to the bigger picture of this season. I, I think that did a really good job. And also, this was where I saw the two things where I understood what Ensign Tilly would be for Saru. Uh, as I said on Twitter during uh, last week's Disco on the Prom, uh, there is a rank in the military, or, or rather a job and a title, called the Adjutant. And the Adjutant is normally the administrative assistant to the commanding officer. Uh, it's also, in the Air Force, it's known as the executive officer, uh, which is its official title. Uh, in naval tradition, the executive officer, the XO, is usually the, the first officer, the number one. But in this case with Tilly, they're kind of making it more like... Um, an Air Force executive officer where it doesn't necessarily have to be the next highest ranking officer on the station, but it's also the person that kind of handles the administrative side of the captain's business. And when we started seeing how Tilly was going over the plans for the crew of the Discovery with Saru and getting his orders executed, part one, that was really good. And then number two, later on in the episode when Rin comes into the ready room and kind of busts in and interrupts and says, I want to talk to the captain. Uh, Tilly says, uh uh, no, try that again and give it the respect that it deserves. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I get what she's doing now. I get it. I get it. And from there, seeing Tilly as the number one, uh, I'm going to say she's going to be the executive officer. That, that would be more appropriate. She's the XO. She's the executive officer. Uh, yeah, I, I think it'll work. I think it'll work out. And going back to Kwajan, um, I thought this was really cool. Uh, I'm glad we got to see more from Book. And I'm glad we got to see his home planet and some of his story. That really made me happy. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that later. But Heather, what did you think? I really enjoyed this episode. Um, it, it definitely felt like it, it was a couple different pieces and different stories coming together uh, in the, the whole chain of everything that's going on in the season for me. Um, so you had like Michael and book and you had Detmer and Rin and you had Giorgio and, uh, Colbert in the, uh, sick bay and you had, uh, Saru and Tilly. So you had all sorts of different pieces that were advancing their storylines along the season. But I, I enjoyed getting to see Kwajan. Um, frankly, it, it, makes so much sense to see his planet knowing his powers now and how his his powers evolved on a planet like that like you could understand it because it's beautiful and anybody who grew up on a planet like that would have a connection to nature like book does and that's one of the reasons why i really love the character so much um 
And we, the other thing that I didn't even mention at all <laughs> going through all that was we got to meet Osira finally yes. for the first time. And I want to say something right now because I've heard talk online going around about, oh, how they thought Osira was kind of underwhelming and they expected her to be some sinister villain. And I'm like, she, she's no Ryan. <laughs> like, to me, especially the history of, oh, with the exception of Tendi in Lower Decks, the history of Orion characters that we've seen in the Star Trek universe, I mean, this is definitely part of their race and, and part of their, their personality and, and their, the characteristics of the race as a whole. But I expected her to be very mustache twirling and all talk and kind of uh, very bombastic like she was. Um, more Wicked Witch of the West than some sort of dark, sinister villain. Um, I completely expected all of that. So I don't think her character was underwhelming at all. I think um, considering there's definitely more of a story there between the Federation and the Emerald Chain and how they dealt with the burn that we still haven't gotten the whole story yet. So I think Osira is definitely more of a villain by circumstance rather than truly being evil, if that makes any sense. That's exactly where I stand on it. Uh, I think someone made the point that, and I think that it was Osira that said this, that she's just trying to do for her people what the Federation had done for theirs. Um, and if there's one thing that I've learned from this season of Star Trek Discovery, especially, is that every story is going to play out and all of the stories so far have played out and they're worth waiting for and they're worth watching and they're worth giving time. I definitely think that when it comes to Osira, uh, I liked her character. I liked her as kind of this not necessarily over-the-top cartoonish villain, uh, but as someone who was efficient. Uh, she she wasn't snarky uh, like Giorgio. She, she didn't always have a quip or, or <laughs> yeah. something smug like Giorgio, uh, but she was also someone that had no problem killing you if you took up too much of her time and got in got in your got in her way mm-hmm. and i like a villain that has a level of efficiency that they expect uh i saw osira as someone who didn't really have time for anybody's crap and i can respect that uh, um a lot of villains uh, will chew the scenery and really have fun uh, Osira is not that, and I thought that was kind of cool. But at the same time, this is only really the first time we've seen her, so yep. there will be more to play out, I'm sure. And I'm totally okay with letting it play out. Uh, there was a lot happening in this episode. Um, we didn't even get to talk about Giorgio yet. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about Dr. Colbert and, and Giorgio, and my God, like, honestly... I've said for a while that while I don't actively hate Philippa Giorgio, the Emperor, 
she really got on my nerves this episode. Like, okay, we get it. You're a big, tough Terran. Okay, you're big and bad. You were queen of the universe. Okay. Can you just let the doctor look at your brain? Jesus Christ. <laughs> You sound like Michael in that scene when Culver's trying to examine Giorgio and she makes some sort of quip about, uh, or you sound like my mother. And he's like, no, I killed your mother. No, I killed my mother. And Michael's mm-hmm. like, like, oh, oh I killed my mother. No, yeah. you did not. <laughs> yes, of course you did. Ooh. Ooh, I killed my mother. I killed all my enemies. Look at me. I'm, I'm Emperor Georgia. Ooh. Oh, my God. Like, it, it really started to get on my nerves at that point. And, and was just like, okay, all right, enough. Can, can we just get to the next episode where we have your pilot episode? Can we just get to it already? <laughs> see i'm the exact opposite because that's why i like Giorgio. <laughs> she has the best one-liners and she just i i, I don't know there's something that just <laughs> cracks me up seeing these words and this snart come out of michelle yo's mouth <laughs> like i i i don't know i i, I love the just outward bump bastic of it and and it's complete and utter mirror universe because that's literally like that's what, what they all are. the characters are in the mirror universe and um it, it it's just so interesting to see that on a regular basis because she's really the first mirror universe character that has spent a large amount of time in our prime universe here so i love Giorgio. I don't know. Maybe it was the fact that Dr. Culber was so clearly just done and annoyed. Maybe that's what it was. And, and, oh. and... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I honestly, that opening scene with the two of them, like Wilson and Michelle just chewed up the scenery completely going after one another. And I loved it. You might have found it annoying, but <laughs> I loved it. No, I, I certainly didn't find Wilson Cruz annoying. I, I love Dr. Culber, and and it, it was just the, okay, can, can we move on? <laughs> can, can we move on to the examination, please? Um, and speaking of Dr. Culber uh, and Paul Stamets, uh, I think we have to mention... Oh, uh, gosh, we didn't that, even talk about them yet. <laughs> right. I, I think we have to mention their growing, burgeoning relationship with Adira. Um, who who we now know is they, uh, and I think that this was a great moment uh, for Star Trek and for television when Adira pointed out their pronouns. Uh, one, because that is important, and it's one of those things that Star Trek has done, uh, making a point of things like social progress and identity and making sure that these things stand out and are important. And also, credit to the writers for not turning it into a longer thing that it had to be. Uh, as soon as Adira pointed out that they wanted to be known as they, them, what did Commander Stamets do? What did he do? Okay. He nodded he his head and said, okay. okay, all right. And later on at the end of the episode, uh, uh, um, Stamets and Culber were talking about Adira while they were lying on a console 
and they used the pronouns a few times uh, correctly, and then that was it. And it was it was a good moment for Star Trek. It was a good moment for television. I think it, it was. I think it was just a good moment. You know, it really, really was. And I know I have a few non-binary Trekkie friends um, who have come out on the internet and said how important that scene was to them. And they actually got a ton of responses back going, oh, those pronouns are so weird. They're plural. Why would you use something like that? Uh, No. They is not a plural pronoun. You need to stop thinking like that, okay? They, them is completely normal. It's not somebody who's confused. It's not uh, any sort of confusion whatsoever. This is how they view themselves. This is how they want to be referred to as. It's not that hard to respect people's pronouns. And that's exactly what Stamets and Colbert did in this episode. It did not become a big deal. It did not become a conversation as it is in so many other things when this issue comes up on TV or any sort of trans issues where you have to have a conversation. Well, oh, well, he is actually a she. That is so offensive. That makes me cringe every time I hear it. It's not the correct conversation to have. You just need to know the pronouns, respect the pronouns, and use them. And that's exactly what Star Trek did in this episode. That's why it's insanely groundbreaking. That's why it's such a scene that we should talk about and should be remembered for. Because it's there, it's dealt with, but it's not discussed like it's an issue because it's not an issue. It is just recognized and respected. And I think it was really well done. And hey, how about that? Star Trek finding ways to make groundbreaking television in the year 2020. How about that? Oh, man. There was a lot in this episode. There was a lot, (laughs) a lot. Um, did, Did we cover it all? Uh, did we talk about Detmer getting over her fears oh, and flying yes. that ship? Kayla Detmer, ace pilot. Yes. Uh, overcoming her fears. Uh, as we saw in our earlier parts of season three, she was dealing with some post-traumatic stress from the travel through the wormhole and, and everything else. And she was put in a situation where she had to take book ship and go after the the ship from the Emerald Chain. And she looked like an ace pilot. And she killed it. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, I stand Kayla Detmer. Big time. Big, big time. Uh, I have since she did the Space Donut. And, and I continue to stand Kayla Detmer. And this was wonderful. And you saw a character overcoming something really intense and and really serious and Ren was there too and he did all right even though he had to deal with grudge which is a whole different thing but Ren was all right too yeah no i i i mean that whole sequence of Kayla because going into um that flying fight sequence you can tell she was nervous but just as she kept going and she kept dealing with it um 
she, she you really did watch her overcome her fear and it it really touched me and then in with Rin being along for the ride with her you got to see him um watch her go through that and then ultimately open up to Tilly at the end because I think he was afraid of opening up to the Federation and at the start of the episode. So he watched Kayla deal, deal with her fear. And then he ultimately dealt with his and opened up to Tilly and shared the information he knew about the Emerald chain. So Detmer not only faced her own fear, but helped others face their fears as well. Okay. There was a lot in this episode. Did we, did we cover it all? Uh, I think we got it all. Okay. So, a couple of days ago, I was talking with someone on Twitter, and they said something that made me realize, OMG, they're absolutely right. And it's about Star Trek's Discovery Season 3, and it's about our boy Cleveland Booker. I am convinced now that Book will not make it past Season 3. Cleveland Booker is going to die. I'm convinced of it. I'm 100% convinced. And I just feel like the reason why is because so much of Discovery kind of goes from season to season. So far, everything we've seen from Discovery, everything dramatically changes from season to season. Yes, there's continuity, but... Everything really flips from season to season. There are major characters that die. There are different places to go. There are big conflicts with huge implications. And I think this all comes back to Michael Burnham. I wouldn't be surprised if that the writers and producers of Star Trek Discovery really don't want her tied down with anything. Or tied down with anyone. They want to use Michael Burnham as a character to really discover, pun intended, everything. And that might include grief. Uh, I think that also one of the big major parts of what makes Discovery Discovery is Michael Burnham's emotional journey. She was raised in a Vulcan household. She went to the Vulcan Science Academy. There are a lot of emotions she has to learn and work through. And I'm thinking that one of them will probably be grief. And I think that's going to end up with Booker probably not making it. I'm fairly certain Book's going to die. Yeah, no, uh, um, no, 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 <laughs> I can't go there with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I, I I will stand on the island. I, I will stand on the island. It can be just me, but I, I, I just have this scary, uncomfortable, inkling feeling that we are not going to see book. And we're not going to see David Ajala, who I think is fantastic. I think he's a terrific actor. He's been in a couple of shows that I've really enjoyed. I I just have this 
uncomfortable, foreboding feeling in the back of my mind now that he's not going to make it. I, you, you know, I, I think while you're right on so many points about the, the show really being tied to Michael Burnham's journey and her, her emotional journey and things like that, um, I think whatever and however they set this up in the next two episodes is going to possibly have the same impact than whatever you might imagine for books eventual end because Giorgio is such a character that is tied to Michael um, in very much a motherly way uh, since she did not have a mother for the longest time and yes like her Giorgio dies in the first season but even this uh, Giorgio that she brought back from the mirror universe they're still connected in that same way which is why she brought her back in the first place so um I have a feeling that the next two episodes which are really truly going to be Giorgio's exit from discovery as a show uh, could have the same emotional impact than what you're as what you're predicting books loss to Michael would be so you're not you can't hit Look, poor I don't Michael like it. with the- I don't like it I don't <laughs> like it but I just have this feeling that I can't ignore I I I just I don't think you can hit Michael with that double whammy losing Giorgio and book in the same season. I don't think it's that's a hell of a lot of angst here, you know, (laughs) and we're not in season one of discovery anymore. This is season three. We're moving past that deep, dark angst. Um, so I can't get on board on that Island with you. I'm going to say book's going to survive. That is partly my own love of the character and wanting him to survive. But that's also partly knowing that something's going to happen to Giorgio, that she's going to leave the show and she's not going to be in Michael's life anymore. And so I think that's going to hit Michael as hard as losing book would. So um, I'm going to go with Giorgio leaving and not book. Uh, guys, if you hate me, you can at me at call me DJM. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm saying hashtag books gonna die. You don't have to say it. You don't have to use that one, but I am books gonna die. Uh, let's move into upcoming. Now, I came across some info, some very interesting info, and um, my CWPS, as Rob Parker would say, uh, that stands for Close Warm Personal Friends, uh, told me that these rumors from the Illuminati.com, the Illuminati, uh, are legit, and there is some weight to them. So, Heather, we have some info on the characters upcoming for Star Trek Prodigy. And Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Now, there's a lot in both of these stories, so we'll put them in the show notes. But I I went through them, and, and Heather did too. And I saw that 
the one thing about Strange New Worlds that really caught my attention is that almost it looked as though all of the characters were non-white and most of them were women. Fascinating. Did you catch that, Heather? I did catch that. And, you know, it, it, it makes sense considering they have already casted the three main characters for Strange New Worlds. And we know that they're white. So when casting the other characters and the other crew of the Enterprise right now, they want that diversity and they want um, that diverse, amazing cast like Discovery and Picard both have. So they're looking for characters or looking for actors that aren't white. It makes complete sense. I, I agree. And that's kind of what Star Trek has been literally since the beginning. Uh, how appropriate for Strange New Worlds. That's kind of what it has always been from uh, Jeffrey Hunter talking about how he wasn't comfortable with a woman on the bridge to Adira making sure that we know that they are they them. That's been a part of Star Trek from the very beginning. If you missed it, I don't know what to tell you. Straight up. Don't know what to tell you. Uh, Star Trek Prodigy. The thing that I noticed with Prodigy is that nearly all of their characters, uh, at least in this story, and we'll put it in the show notes, all of these characters were alien. Yes. Which would tell me, along with Captain Janeway, we really don't know who or what the main cast of Star Trek Prodigy is going to be. These all kind of look like supporting side characters, but we did not find out who the kids on the abandoned starship are going to be. But we got a lot of aliens. We we got a Tellarite. Um, we got uh, what looks like another Ferengi. Uh, a Ferengi main character. That'll be fun. A and Ferengi woman. A Ferengi woman yes. main character. No, 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 no. Heather, Heather. You, you gotta say it right. We're talking about the Ferengi. You gotta say it right. Female. Female. <laughs> but that yeah. made that character even more interesting, that it's a woman. And seeing the progression of the Ferengi by the end of DS9, we now get to see the impact of Ron and Moogie on the Ferengi culture, which Rand I think Nagus is exciting. Rom. Yeah. But, and also... The one character is listed as a Denoblian. Ugh, can't talk. Denoblian. That, that's talk. a tough one. That's always Denoblian. <laughs> See, it's a tough one. That one is tough. <laughs> Denoblian. Denoblian, yes. Uh, Denoblian, which is going to be the first time we have seen that alien since Star Trek Enterprise and Dr. Flox, which I think is exciting as well. Agreed. Agreed. And for that matter, we still don't know the main cast. And like, yeah. And as I said, my source, because I have sources, <laughs> um, said that this was legit. They they saw the PDFs. So all of these things are looking like they will come to pass. I'm excited. We're we're starting to see little drips of info about strange new worlds 
and Prodigy uh, were not too far away from the obvious pilot for the Section 31 series. So the the next phase of Star Trek television is coming very, very quickly and very, very soon. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that, uh, which tells me we've got even more for upcoming. Uh, Heather, uh, we were talking a little bit, uh, you were talking a little bit about casting ideas. Uh, I had one, but uh, I will let you take the con on this one. Okay. Well, talking about my ultimate dream casting wish for Star Trek, and it could be in any of the upcoming Star Trek series, but um, I'm a huge sci-fi fan in general. And like a lot of people talked in season two about how Captain Pike was their space dad. (laughs) He just gave you that warm, homey dad, take care of everybody feeling. Um, When I think about a character who I would call my space mom, I think about Laura Rosalind from Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. And I would love to see Mary McDonnell in a new Star Trek series, probably as an admiral in Starfleet, but just very much giving that space mom (laughs) feels into the Star Trek universe. Uh, She would be a perfect mentor for some of these younger uh, female characters who are trying to make a name for themselves and want to grow in the ranks like Tilly, who wants to be a captain. So having a woman admiral of her age uh, would really replace the hole that Admiral Cornwell left when she was killed at the end of season two. So Mary McDonnell is my dream wish for casting in the Star Trek universe. Please make her an admiral. I would love to see my space mom on screen and in space again. All right. So uh, on an earlier episode of the podcast, Heather, you remember that I mentioned that potentially for Strange New Worlds, uh, I said that uh, David Tennant, the, the famed David Tennant, would be a great choice as a cue in Star Trek. Yes. And, yes. and I stand by that. Uh, but recently, I had another idea, uh, and I would love to throw this one out to everybody at Prom Trek Pod. Let me know. Let me know what you think of this one, everybody. Elliot Page, uh, once known as Ellen, now Elliot, uh, I believe that he would be perfect in the later season of Star Trek Discovery as Dax, as the host of a Trill symbiont in the distant future. The Dax symbiont that we knew from Deep Space Nine has lived through time and is now, with a new host, played by Elliot Page. Uh, what do you think of that one? That, that was my idea. Elliot Page as Dax in the future. I think it, it is ultimately a really good idea. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that there are definitely, as, as much as I've talked on the show before about being a member of the queer community, I am not trans, I am not non-binary, so I don't have that life experience to take to my opinions and how I feel about this. 
And I know there's definitely some in the community who don't like the idea of trans and non-binary characters always being some sort of alien because it makes them feel like they're weird and, and unnormal and trans always have to be portrayed mm. as alien okay. or awkward. Mm. But I'm going to tell you why I kind of like the idea because they don't necessarily have to be portrayed as trans. I mean, we've met gray who is Adira's boyfriend who was trill and who is trans and is played by a trans slash non-binary actor. Ian Alexander. But so far, there has been no mention of the fact that Gray is trans. And he is just referred to as a he. And so it's not a situation that has been brought up or discussed, nor does it really need to be. And so I think the idea of Elliot Page playing a later version of Dax is ultimately a really good idea because we have only known Dax as a woman because like, yes, we've met all of Dax's many hosts in DS nine through the different things that Jadzia went through after becoming hosts. So we only really know Dax as Jadzia and Ezri. And I think Elliot would be a wonderful joy, a wonderful choice to sort of transition people's idea of, and this really sounds like a bad way to describe it. And I hope as hell I'm not offending anybody by doing this, but Elliot would be a wonderful choice to really transition people's idea of Dax from a woman to a man. And like I said, the character does not have to be presented as trans. Elliot can play a male male character. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to see Elliot play a a male character since they came out. I think it will be amazing, and I fully support them, and will go and make sure I watch anything they do next to see them play male characters on screen, because they should get the opportunity to do that. I completely agree. I just think Elliot Page is just a great actor regardless the, the track record speaks for itself uh, and I love the idea of having a major star in Star Trek we haven't had I would say the closest to that is Michelle Yeoh who in her own right is a major international star and Star Trek as a television series hasn't had too many of those. Uh, I would say maybe not since Whoopi Goldberg played Guinan have we had like a real major star in Star Trek. And I think that would be really cool. And I think that would be a role that he could bring numerous dimensions to. And as you said, Heather... The Dax symbiont has all sorts of different dimensions that it could bring to the table. There would be the hosts that we know from DS9, whether it's Jadzia, Ezri, Curzon, and all the rest. There could be new ones over the centuries uh, from the time jump. I I feel like the possibilities could be endless. And Elliot Page is a fantastic actor. And... If they were to go into that direction, I think he'd be the perfect person for the job. That, that that was just that's my idea. Elliot Page playing a legacy role 
in Star Trek. And I don't know. My crazy idea. That's what I thought. I like it. So let us know what you think at Prom Track Pod. Let us know what you think. Uh, something a bit more lighthearted. Some good news, Heather. Now, as I've said in the past and as I've said on Trek Profiles when I got to be on Trek Profiles, uh, I went through a pretty long phase in the anime fandom before coming back home to Star Trek. And one thing that I think that the anime fandom did exceptionally well was growing a homegrown grassroots fan community. Uh, And the convention scene within the anime space is outstanding. Uh, Before the pandemic, you could find anime conventions of varying size uh, and location fairly easily if you wanted to go, if that was an experience you wanted to have. Star Trek... Not so much. It trends older, uh, and there was always the Las Vegas convention, and that was pretty much it. And I said a while back that I think that would be something that would be really good for the fandom, especially now that there's so much more going on. The idea that one yearly convention in Las Vegas that you can really only go to if you save a bunch of money and are able to get a hotel room in the area and spend a ton of money on it kind of makes it out of reach for a lot of people. I don't know, maybe Creation Entertainment caught my message and decided that in 2021 they are going to start doing a few more conventions at the regional level uh, for the continuing mission uh, brand, uh, which is part of their Star Trek convention brand. Uh, In July, it will be the Sci-Fi Summit Vancouver in British Columbia, uh, July 16th and 18th. Now, this one, these other two, uh, will be... (laughs) <laughs> My birthday weekend, September 10th through the 12th, uh, in Edison, New Jersey, and Jacksonville, Florida, a city that I have a strong connection with. So, yeah, I'm loving this. I think this is great for fans. I think this is great for Star Trek, and I want to see it grow. Oh, I completely agree. Um, but I'm torn as to which one I want to go to, <laughs> whether it's New Jersey or Florida. <laughs> Why did it have to be on the same weekend? Why? <laughs> uh, so I do think it, it it's great for fans and it, it's really great for the community to have more regional conventions. Um I do, part of me really does wish that, uh, you know, they not neglect the middle area of the U.S. Um, (laughs) Because you have two on the same weekend, both on the East Coast, and the other one on the very far West Coast, like... United States is really freaking big, and there are a lot of cities here in the middle of the United States, like Detroit, where you live, like Columbus, Ohio, where I live, like Chicago, which is in reasonable driving or flying distance for both of us. Um, you know, I, I think 
think if you're going to do three conventions like that, you should cover the whole span of North America and mm-hmm. not just the I East agree. and West. Yeah, agreed. So that's my bone to pick with their announcing their conventions. Other than that, I think it's fantastic. I do fully plan to attend either the one in New Jersey or Florida yet. I have no idea which one. I am taking bribes from people to whoever can bribe me the most to convince them to go to one or the other. <laughs> so at me, at NerdyGal33, if you have some sort of bribe to convince me to go to New Jersey or Florida, uh, let me know what you're willing to offer me. <laughs> I, I feel like for me, the one in Jacksonville is pretty much set in stone. Uh, my, my special someone through the wormhole in the Gamma Quadrant uh, is in Jacksonville. Uh, also, it, it is my birthday weekend, so that that's pretty much yeah. I, I'm barring disaster. I, I'll be going to the one in Jacksonville, and I'll have a few cosplays too. So, yeah, that's what it looks like for me. And yeah, Creation Entertainment. If you catch this, Detroit, Chicago, Columbus. Do some stuff in the Midwest. Do some stuff in the Heartland. Yeah, we're we're, we, we're not we're not flyover country. We're you know some of us are okay. Some of us are okay here. We love Star Trek too. We do. We <laughs> really do. And we hope you love Star Trek as much as we do. And we thank you for listening to this episode of the Promenade Merchants Podcast. This podcast. Is almost as long as all of my other episodes of my shows that I do, Heather. Uh, but we had a <laughs> no, lot. We had a lot to talk about. There was a lot. There was a lot. Uh, so we hope you we gave you a good chunk of Star Trek podcast content, everybody. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Prom Trek Pod. Uh, check us out in Apple Podcasts, in Spotify Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and wherever podcasts are aggregated. Follow Heather at NerdyGal33. I'm at CallMeDJM. We'll be back with the next episode, and we might even have a guest. So stick around. You you won't have to just hear me babble for an hour or so. <laughs> uh, H- Heather will have somebody interesting to talk to. So until next time, everybody, walk with the prophets and enjoy your Rack to Gino. <laughs>